you know, and that's one that, that's another misnomer that I kind of want to clear up from my perspective. Okay. When I hear when I hear people say that what while these bad officers were the good officers, why don't the good officers stand up? Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me let you in on a little secret. Do you know when we find out they bad? When you find out they bad. Hello, my name is Lynette Caldwell, and I am your host and creator of Her Real Life, the podcast about her, you, and me. The sounds you will experience are collections of my unfiltered thoughts, conversations, and views from people I've encountered or other cool people that we'll all want to know a little bit better. This is basically my way of showing how we as women live very similar lives and have very similar experiences, spoken and unspoken. We just live those lives in different hoods, on different streets. What you are about to hear is her real life. So today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing to some and um, presenting to others. Um, I call him a friend because literally we have known each other since we were probably 11, 12 years old. So the person that I'm going to introduce you to today is Mr. Ty Hunt. And he is not only I learned of him from sports through basketball, Uh, actually all sports, because like I said, we've known each other since we were 11 and 12 years old. He went to Grandview Middle School in Hickory and I went to Blackburn Middle School in Newton, or they, I guess they call it Vale. Oh, it's not Vale. It's Newton. That's what we're going to say. So <laughs> we, we play sports. He was a, a, always on the opposing team. And I just, he has a profession that I want to know more about. And he's an interesting person, has a beautiful family. So I'm going to throw it on over to Ty Hunt. Ty, how are you doing today? I am outstanding, Lynette. Thank you so much for having me this evening. Okay, so tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what this profession that I'm wanting to know so much more about. Tell us about that. Well, uh, for you guys who don't know me, my name is Ty Hunt. I grew up in a little small town called Hickory, North Carolina, boop, boop. Um, where I uh, I excelled in athletics a little bit. I earned a scholarship. To, a little uh, bit, he says. Ty was like the Jolly Green Giant. Like Ty was always, how tall are you, Ty? Six five. Six five. So were you that height in middle school? I was probably about six one, six two. So we're we're talking about eleven, twelve, thirteen ish, six one, six two. Like Ty was like the grown man of the group. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so he's like he didn't just excel. Like Ty Ty was a great athlete all the way around because you played basketball, football. Did you play basketball? Uh, I didn't play baseball. Uh, my son does, and he's a well of a baseball player. But uh, I never had a chance to experience baseball. But I did play a little softball. Okay. So you were something of an athlete. And where did that end up taking you, from Hickory High to where? It took me to East Carolina University, where I earned a scholarship to play football there. Okay. I played, I played for uh, my four years, a uh, two-year starter. Played in three bowl games and... Uh, after graduating East Carolina University with my degree in communications, uh, I ended up playing arena football, a little pro football for about a year. And uh, I just got tired of being hurt. Yeah. I've, I've had four knee operations, a wow. hand operation, I've two, I broke my foot, strained pick. I'm just, I, I, I just got tired of being hurt. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. And I mean, and what you when you play hard, you automatically going to go 150%. So that means that generally if you run it into something, it's going to hurt. I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> so, so what I, did so, what did what else did you do there? So I, so afterwards, uh, after playing football, mm-hmm. I was kind of at a crossroads in life. You know, I was a young man, mm-hmm. um, still trying to figure it out. Um, I knew football was probably at, at the end for me mm-hmm. due to all of my injuries. So uh, I moved back home. And when I moved back home, um, again, like I said, I was kind of at that crossroads in life where I was like, man, I'm going to have to make a decision. Yeah. You know what, I, what I'm going to do. And uh, my uncle who um, is, was a police officer in Hickory, North Carolina. He was a uh, homicide investigator his last 10 years on the force. And, uh, you know, he um, came up to me one day. He said, nephew, you ever think about being a police officer? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just kind of like, you know, it never really crossed my mind, huh? Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, I think you'd be great at it. It's just simply because you can have a conversation 
with anyone about anything. And, you know, policing is only 10% physical. 90% of it, you're going to be communicating with people. And you can do that all day long in your sleep. Right. And so from that point, I said, you know what? The bells kind of went off. And in 2002, I signed up for the police academy and uh, and BLET training in in Hickory, North Carolina. And I started the class that January uh, of 2003. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So what did you go to East Carolina to do? Like, what was your degree in? Well, I got my degree in communications, uh, media production. So technically, with my degree, mm-hmm. I can work in radio or television. Um, I learned in radio how to how to work a digicart. I don't even know if they still have those things anymore. What is that? <laughs> I didn't know what that is. What is, yeah, exactly. a, what is it called? A digicart. Digicart. So, so, yeah, so basically a digicart, what you use is when you want to do um, – uh, ads and skits and things of that nature, you can download it into the Digicart and you can chop it up from there and put it on the wheel. So when you're running, like, you know, how you run your show, you know, running commercials mm-hmm. and things in between. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to work that, those kind of things. And then, of course, on the television side, I learned how to work all of the, the, the big cameras, uh, the gaffs and all that wow. stuff. So I could, I could have worked in that profession, but once I, I started kind of looking into it a little tougher, mm-hmm. I was like, I was, like starting paying some of these jobs for like $20,000 a year. I was like, man, I'm glad to have five roommates to survive. I know you can't function like that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, man, I, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I, was like, I just, I just left college. We had a bunch of roommates. I'm tired of roommates. Right. Like you grown now. We trying to do big <laughs> right. people things. Right. <laughs> That's amazing though, because it's, it's so different from, but like you said, you're using communication. So in a way, your degree, you still are using some aspect of your, of your degree, right? Very much so, because uh, communication is key uh, with everything, um, especially with people. Um, I w- we were able to do tons of projects where we would go out and do interviews. And, and we, you know, we'd all switch roles where I'd be the interviewer and then I'd be the interviewee. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd run the camera. I would... Um, I'd be doing all kinds of things, you know, and uh, so you, you definitely, you definitely, I'm definitely still using a lot of those skills that I learned. So for anybody that didn't quite hear what Ty does, Ty is a police officer and currently you were in Hickory, correct? Mm-hmm. I and, was. And then where did you start out? Was it in I Hickory start, or Conover? I actually started in the, the, the large city of Conover okay. and uh, <laughs> where we had a total of 20 police officers. Uh, <laughs> but Conover is small. For anybody that doesn't know, if you're not from North Carolina, if you're not from that area, like it's itty bitty. Itty bitty. So that's where I started. I started at Conover and um, I was I was there for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I made the move to Hickory. Uh, and from Hickory, uh, I was really able to kind of spread my wings a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, my last my last two years in Hickory, I was on the uh, gang task force. So I worked gangs, and I got to travel around the country and learn about gangs. And uh, oh. when we they sent us to um, uh, Egg Harbor, New Jersey. I've been all through North Carolina, uh, through Virginia, Blacksburg, Virginia. You know, just going around the country studying about gangs, their movements, their patterns. Mm-hmm. And um, doing so, we um, I was I was lucky and fortunate enough to be a part of. Uh, uh, something special took place, and I think that's still going on right now in North Carolina. But there's a, a unit put together called Gang of One, uh-huh. and gang, and Gang of One is basically a network that was put together where all agencies can use it. Because we we noticed one thing with gang movement was that a lot of them were moving. Uh, we were encountering the same people, uh-huh. and just but just in different areas of the state. So that allowed us to create this database where we was put people's name in the database and say, if I was in Hickory and you were in Charlotte, mm-hmm. then we would say, hey, listen, we encountered this guy two days ago. At this time, wearing this, wearing that with these people um, involved in, in, in this. And we would be able to see it in Little Hickory just by running their name. So it was a very cool um, cool thing I was able to be a part of when they first started that thing up and to be able to use it. It was a great, great tool. Was that stressful as far as learning about gangs or following the gangs or trying to do that kind of stuff? Not at all. Um, for, for me, I'm one, I'm one that's, uh, I'm pretty much, I'm 
very big in the learning, um, especially in policing. It's like any other job. You learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're doing something wrong. Right. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm all about learning. Um, I love studying history. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of buff in that, in, in those areas. So learning that for me, it, it was, it was just another, another challenge and something else for me to add to my toolbox. When you were on like the police force in Newton and Hickory, did like, did you have a beat? Like, I don't, I don't know all the terminology. So like, correct me if I'm wrong. So did you, did you do like a shift where you drove around at night during the day? Like, what all did you do or did you go straight from school to the task force and those types of things? Well, technically what happens is once once you graduate the academy, mm-hmm. uh, whoever hires you, you'll go through about a 12 to a 15 week period where you arrive with the training officer where you're basically doing on the job training okay. because, uh, you know, you learn enough in the academy just to get yourself hurt. Yeah, <laughs> because the academy and real life, you know, are two different animals. Yeah, you know, you go through a lot of drills in the academy. You know, in a or an instructor can say, "Hey, time out. So what happened here? What happened there? Well, when you're in the real life situation, you can't say, "Hey, Mister Bad Guy, time <laughs> out for a second. Now, what? The, you know, you don't have time for that. So you, right. <laughs> you have to really start applying that training. But typically, but typically, you go through your training officer. Uh, for that that twelve week program, and after that, then they'll turn you loose. And then they will assign you uh, an area to work, or zone, or beat to work. So for me, when I started in Conover, you know, we only had three cars that were working. You had a north car, a south car, and a downtown car. Okay. And 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 I worked night shift. So, you know, I had my little sector that I worked and I took care of, and. If my partners, if they listening to the radio, if they were on traffic stops and needed backup, and I'd go back them up, and when we were done, I'd go back to my sector and, you know, patrol and make sure no one's car was getting broken into, no one's house was getting broken into, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I did. So have you ever encountered anything, even in the little place of Conover and Hickory, did you ever encounter anything that was, like, the situation was amped up or people, like, it, violence? Like, did you ever oh. encounter that there? I encountered violence. Uh, I tell you, it's funny. Actually, my first my first few days of working in the city of Conover, we had a we had a call of a um a open window. Someone saw someone walk going through the window of someone's home. Mm. So my my training officer and I, you know, we go to this house and we actually encounter a guy in this house, you know, with guns drawn because oh. we don't know what we what we're walking into. Right. You know, so, so guns drawn, and, and you know, we take this guy. You know, we um, you know, arrest him and do the whole thing. I'm like, man, this had my first day. This is crazy, <laughs> you know. But you know, the thing, the, the thing about police is that you know, you have some officers that you know they'll they'll work thirty years and never have to pull their weapon at all, except right. to shoot at the range. And then you have some officers like myself who work in their first week of work, and I had to pull my gun on somebody. Right. So, so it just it, it, it just depends. It just depends. But if, I mean, like you said, with that, some people enjoy the idea of it's something different every day. I don't have to, because like I know in social work when I did social work, there were some things that were always the same, like situations, but mm-hmm. you never knew there was something different about different things about the same things every day. If that makes any sense. It's like you encounter the same situation, but it's a different scenario with that. So you always were ready for something new. Totally. And that's, that is the one thing um, I do love. I do love about police. And, you know, I tell my wife all the time, you know, where, you know, she works in the office, you know, she has her own office and all that. I see, you know, what, you know, what my office is, the whole outdoors is my office, <laughs> right? You know, so I get to I get to go out and you know if I want to stop at a store and grab some coffee, you know, I stop and grab some coffee. Mm-hmm. If I want to stop and grab a sandwich, I stop and grab a sandwich. You know, if I want to, I need to pull over and, and get caught up on some of my my work or whatever, I can throw the laptop open inside the patrol car and get caught up on a report that I needed to do. You know, so it, it, and I can do that anywhere. I can go to a grocery store and pull up in the parking lot. And while I'm there, I'm kind of serving two purposes. Right. You know, but uh, um, just my presence, you know, is, you know, I'm, I'm doing the job with just my presence because if somebody's having a idea of doing something crazy, well, they see a patrol car sitting there, so they're going to probably think twice. Right. And, and then while I'm, while I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm actually knocking out work. So I'm serving two purposes sometimes and it works itself out. Yeah. 
So I heard you reference or refer to your wife. So I know that you are um, a husband and a father. Um, what pulled you to Atlanta? Well, technically, what got me to Atlanta was my ex-wife. Okay. <laughs> well, just but, doggone. Uh, that's what got me to Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, things didn't, things didn't work out. Okay. Um, and I didn't have any children with her. Okay. And uh, we left Erickly. You know, she went her way. I went my way. That's good. And actually, right when I was contemplating moving back to North Carolina, I met my current wife now. We'll look at her. Her and I have been together for uh, over 11 years. And uh, matter of fact, we're coming up on 10 years of marriage uh, next week. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, happy yeah. early anniversary. Because I'm thank telling you, you 10 you. years, it, people, they they really don't know to get to that point with a person, the same person every day. It's like yeah. an achievement, especially in these days and times. People don't stay together long. Like, like my mom and daddy were together for over 40 years. Wow. Before my dad died. So it's just like, mm. you know, that's not normal. No, you know, not this day and age. No, I think everything. I, you know, I heard some. I heard someone older tell me. He said, "You know, this day and age we're in now, where when we grew up, you know, it took forty minutes to make grits. Now these kids get grits in two minutes, you know, <laughs> or less, and, or less. You know, and and they they can't appreciate the the just walking around the house and smelling the grits cook on the stove with that yes. butter melting in there, and yes. you know, you could you'd be somewhere in the house, you'd be outside smelling." When you finally get a chance to put your lips on them, you might burn yourself if you go too fast. But uh, but you finally get to taste them. It's it's worth the wait. Yeah, I think that's 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 how it is. The younger kids they kind of they can't they can't understand it because everything they want they want so fast. Because it's so easily accessible. There you go. Like they don't have to wait. Literally everything anybody wants is at their fingertips. Yep. I mean, yep. everything, every, every corporation is moving towards getting everything quick, in a hurry, easy. Like they don't have to wait, like you said. And it it's kind of sad because the anticipation of life is gone. I agree. I agree. And these kids now, you know, especially, you know, my son is nine and my daughter is six. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, man, they are sharp. I mean, yeah. these kids, they, they learn, they've learned stuff like two or three times I mean, I, they do things now that I couldn't fathom doing, you know, at that age. Then, I mean, I mean, I'm way older than they are, but still, I mean, just that. But when you were nine, show you the, yes, yeah, it just show, it just shows you the day and time that we're in. Yeah, that you know that these kids now they're so haven't been accessible to those things. You know, they they just man, they just on another level with it. They are, and. and like I said, I look at mine and mine are 12 and 13. And I just say, there's so many things I wish that they would just slow down. Not that they're moving fast, but right. just the world that they're in, they have no choice but to move faster. Yes, society dictates it. It does. I mean, even if you try to slow down things and because I restrict a lot of things, I take a lot of things away just because yes. I don't want them to be overexposed. Because it's just like when we were little... If you already knew what you were getting for Christmas in June, you wouldn't be excited mm -hmm. in December. Right. So, like, I try to hold back a lot of life and sometimes it's probably too much. But because I want them to anticipate and be excited about, oh, my goodness, when I turn this age, I get to do this or I get to see this or I get to go here. Yeah. But they don't they don't have to because it's, it's everywhere. Everywhere. And, and it's, it's almost a, it's almost to a point where we almost we can't keep it from them because either. They're not going to get it from us, but they're going to get it from somewhere else. Somewhere Either else. At school or a friend at school or, or a friend's parent that's exposing them to something. You know, yeah. it's just, it's almost like you, you can't get away. And now, I mean, hey, TV, they, they, you're getting that just looking at it off TV. I know. Everything. I remember when you couldn't say, like certain, when you watch TV, they wouldn't say certain bad words because they yes. were like extremely bad. But they were like my minute words they weren't even the major ones now they say everything yeah. on tv oh yeah i mean it's, everything it's common language now yeah no bleeps <laughs> no like yeah. oops i said that it's just like normal speech so like you said we have to expose our children and speak to them correctly so that they know coming from a source that they can trust and believe versus getting it from their friends or other parents or people that ain't supposed to be telling them in the first place i totally agree well, now that we've heard a little bit about you, we're going to go to the next part. So okay. this is, um, I kind of call it 
the five. I don't kind of call it. I do call it the five. It's a rapid fire kind of question answer. And what I want you to do, these questions I'm going to ask you, I don't want you to think too deep about it because you got five oh. minutes to answer. Oh, so <laughs> so it's the first thing that comes to your mind. And, and if you can um, just yell it out or and if we have to stop and talk about it, we can put a pause on it. All right, I'll do my best. Okay. I'm kinda, I, I can get a little long-winded. So I, try to, I try to control myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Ty. That's okay. <laughs> if you get long-winded, we'll just hold off and we'll just keep going. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm getting ready to start. Let's see here. I'm getting my timer. I'm going to count down. Three, two, and your five minutes start now. Okay. Are okay. uh, Who would you like to meet past or present past the present mm-hmm. I would like to have met I would have liked to have met probably my seven or eight times grandparents oh wow that's pretty cool yeah okay so after yeah. this game we're gonna talk about why you want to do that yes okay definitely. So, what was your favorite toy as a kid? I had a ton of Transformers. Um, so, between Transformers and there, were, there was Voltron and then the GoBots. The Go- so I, anything that transformed that I could tinker with and, you know, move them around, I, I loved all that stuff. The GoBots, I remember them. Yes, it was a cartoon. Remember that cartoon, right? <laughs> we're going way back. Okay. Yeah. Would you say you're a singer or a dancer? Lynette, I'm both. <laughs> I am both. You know my, you know what they call me in college? What? The dancing bear. Well, all right. So, you know, when you're six, at the time, you know, when you're six, five, 300 pounds. Yeah. You know, you, and you have sweet feet. They call you the dancing bear. Not sweet feet. That's right. <laughs> did you go to yesterday's? I did go a few times. I cut, I cut the rug in yesterday's a few times. Yesterday's was a, a, a teen club. Well, we had a teen night back in Hickory, so that was like the yes. place to go. Okay, let's get back to the game. We got to stay focused. All right, sorry. Do you like to fly or drive? I'm a driver. Okay. Would you say you're early or late? I'm early. Are you an introvert or extrovert? Oh, extrovert. Okay. On your wife, do you like lipstick or eyeshadow? I like her lips. Okay. When you communicate like via text or whatever, do you use words or emojis? I do words. You like coffee or tea? Oh, big coffee fan. Do you carry cash or you use a card? You know, I'm country. I carry cash. (laughs) (laughs) Do you text or call? Um, I would rather call and text. Okay. Do you like oatmeal or cereal? Uh, oatmeal. What's your favorite smell? Um, I like spring smells. The, the, the fresh of spring, like jasmine. Mm-hmm. I love that, that, that smell, that, that jasmine breeze. Okay. You like fresh food or frozen? Fresh. Okay. So this one, you, you can only choose one if you had to take. So music, book, or pen and paper? Book. Okay. Do you cross your T's before you dot your I's? You got to think about this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I dot my eyes. <laughs> and then you cross your teeth. Yes, yes. What is the most interesting place you've been? Uh, my wife and I went to uh, Africa. We went to Egypt. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we got to talk about that, too, because that's one yeah. of my bucket list places. Yes. Okay, do you like heels or flats? Um, On your wife, because you're not wearing I like, them. I like her. I like her in heels. Okay, then. You like... Yeah. What? Go ahead. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, <laughs> high tops or low tops for you? I'm a low top kind of guy. Do you like minivan or SUV? SUV. Carpet or hardwood? Hardwood. How do you like your eggs? Scrambled soft. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I'll let you pass. Hotel or Airbnb? (laughs) What do you say? Hotel or Airbnb? Airbnb. 
Do you like to take a bath or a shower? I'm a shower guy. You like cats or dogs? Dog. Do you wear a hood or do you like umbrellas? Hood. Sweet or unsweetened tea? You better have the right answer. Come on, Nate. Where am I from? <laughs> okay. I mean, so, so sweet, you almost had diabetes. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Okay. In tic-tac-toe, are you the X's or the O's? I love the X's. Okay, you got 20 seconds. Biscuits or cornbread? Uh, cornbread, yeah. What's your Jiffy. Jiffy, do you put sugar in it? I'm sorry? Do you put sugar in it? You know that. <laughs> okay, we got five seconds. <laughs> Brown or white gravy? Doggone it. Three, two, one. See? We didn't even get through half the class. Oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love it. I love it. I love it. So... <laughs> That was just what that was. That section of the the show is called The Five. And it's just a quick kind of rapid fire, easy way for people to get to know you a little better by your answers. You know, it's just and it's fun. See, we learn all kinds of things about you. Mm -hmm. So while we're on that section, before we get to the deep parts of everything, um, tell me about Africa. Africa, you know, it was man, it was so amazing. Um, you know, I really went through, uh, probably about six years ago, I really went through, uh, a transition, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, that transition, you know, it, 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 it took me back to Africa, you know, wow. it just, I got to a point in life where, you know, it was like, you know, I, I don't know anything about, about myself outside of what I was taught in school. Right. And I, and I think that's a problem. Yeah. You know, where when you talk to other cultures, you know, they can go back, you know, two, 3,000 years yeah. and tell you who their people were. Yeah. But when you talk, when you ask African-American people, you know, well, well, who, who, where'd your name come from? Mm-hmm. Well, we got a name from our slave masters. Right. You know, and that, that kind of, that kind of sits some kind of way with me. I'm like, cause my question was, that I always ask myself, well, who were we before we were enslaved and brought here? Who were we? Yeah. And that and that started a quest for me to start digging, you know, and I started digging and um I started finding things and when I started finding things, I, you know, I started changing. And I started changing just of having a, a broader scope mm-hmm. of what I was raised to be and taught to be. Yeah. You know, and I and I kind of found it on my own. And so it took me to, uh, I actually did uh, my DNA uh, testing where I went through African ancestry and I found out where my ancestors were from, mm-hmm. which were, uh, we're from Equatorial Guinea, which is um, just off the coast of, uh, it's a small island off the coast of Cameroon called Bioko. Wow. And uh, found out that's where we kind of, we kind of started from. Um, and it's just taking me on the journey, you know, and, and my wife, she really saw my passion uh-huh. um, and, and my hunt for truth and she said babe she said i want to surprise you with something and she did and she and we went to africa she took, she took us to africa that is incredible i mean not only is it incredible that you wanted to know more and you expressed that to your spouse your partner and she took it a one step further and was like this is what my husband wants and needs for development of his life and she set it up she did like she did. you can't ask for anything better when I tell you I have an amazing woman, uh, you know, everybody, everybody would say, you know, my wife's the best. And it, I mean, and you're supposed to say that. Right. But I, I'm telling you, my wife's the best. You know, I really couldn't, I, I couldn't ask for a better person to, to share this journey with. And uh, I wouldn't want to share with anyone else, you know. So um, she, uh, she's definitely, um, she reads me. She mm-hmm. reads me like a book. Mm-hmm. And um, she makes, and she's a go-getter, you know. She makes things happen. And, Man, I tell you, that trip was it's, it's, it was life changing for me to actually go to the land where where we where we began and to see to see the things that that our ancestors built yeah. that that they still can't figure out today how they how they built them right. But but we but to, in this day and age, you know, we think we're so smart. Mm-hmm. But they were so smart that they they built something that's over you know eight nine thousand years old, and you still can't figure out how they did it. And can't replicate so, it. <laughs> you can't. It can't be replicated. Isn't it amazing? It is. It's incredible. 
It truly is. And then when you really start digging more, you start seeing how those same, you know, pyramids and temples that were built there, mm-hmm. well, you start seeing it pop up in the Americas, in, in, in North America, South America. And you start wondering, well, well, how did that technology get over here? It's because we traveled the world. Wow. And, you know, and it's amazing when you start seeing these these ancient these ancient things and you've been told these stories of of people that, that were here and you start learning about, you know, Wormian Ice Ages that were 50,000 years ago and people that were here who who came across the Bering Strait, who encountered the people that were in the Americas already. You know, you start finding these things out. You start seeing, you know, reading this history. And it's like, man, I, I didn't get taught this in school. No, it's a whole nother and, level. Yes, and you get and I, you get excited about it. I mean, and literally, I mean, I would I would go times where I would just I would come home, you know, I'd have you no know, dinner with my family, you know, do my thing, and I I run off downstairs to my cage, I'd be reading, mm-hmm. read reading some read some order something. You know, typically, I have I have a nice little library that I've, I've pretty much created, and um, I was just man, I was just I divest myself in these books. I just I learn and I love to learn. I love to learn. That's so good. And I mean, I feel like that helps you be um, just a better overall person, not not yes. just for your internal self, but for everybody. Because think about it. When you are reading and developing your own your own culture, your own mind, like developing yourself in your profession, how much yes. better does that make you? You know, it's, it's- it it has it has to because you know if you don't know who you are then how are you gonna be who you gonna be right you know, it, it has to be some it has to be some kind of foundation built you know and and sometimes you know the foundation that we that we were first given there's some chinks in the in the in the in the in the foundation yeah so sometimes you have to resurface it and try and rebuild again and yeah. that's kind of what I've done you know just just resurface it and rebuild it. This time with my own my own material. Wow. And and it's and it's work it's work for me. Well, I applaud you for, for all of that because that probably ties into when you said uh past or present who you'd like to meet, your yes. your grandparents from seven times yeah, over? Seven, at least seven times. Seven seven times seven times grandparents, that's probably gonna put us about right about when when the uh, transatlantic slave trade was taking place, mm-hmm. so I would I would like to know, you know, who, who they were because you know when you think about it, Lynette, we were the we were the ones that were survived that survived. Yeah, there were millions that never made it. Right, you know that, that died from disease that that jumped off the ships yeah. for coming over here that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So the so the African Americans that are in. In you know the United States, our ancestors are the ones that survived. Wow! You know, so that's it's so powerful to, to think about when you really sit down and think about it. Like, man, I'm I'm only here because my ancestors survived this trip. On both sides of your family. On both sides. Uh, and I I've never even thought like I know that because we're here, but I've never even thought about it to the degree that you just mentioned it. Yeah. yeah like we so are part we, of the survivors. Yes. Hmm. Yes, we we survived. Our ancestors survived the Holocaust, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's um it which was which is known in Swahili as the Maafa. Hmm. That's that's the name of our Holocaust. It's called the Maafa. So you get a chance, you know, look that up, and uh, you'll see some um some real deep information about that, you know. And uh, I tell you, it's just um sometimes I get emotional thinking about it. You yeah, know, it's like wondering what 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 were they feeling. Right. What were they going through? The, the, what, what was going on in their head? Like, I mean, those, those things, you know, to this day, I just kind of just, I try to put myself, you know, in that mindset. And I can't because of this society that I grew up in. Right. You know, I, you, you can't really fathom that back in that time. But just, I would like to know. But I'm so glad that God allowed them to make it. Yep. Because here we are. We're here. So tell me this. Do you think what would the little boy you were would he look up to the man that you are today? I would think so. I would like I would like to say that um I'm a righteous man mm-hmm. as be, as best as I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nobody perfect. Um, you know, everybody make their mistakes. I'm just a human. Yeah. But I would think I would think that my works that I have 
I have done this thus far in my life. Um, I think if someone went back and read my book, um, the little boy, I think, I think he he would look up to me and say, I think he's a, a okay guy. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I'm telling you. And the thing about you, Ty, is that you've always been the same. Like from what yeah. I've known you when we was in middle school through high school, um, you were always the same. You know what I'm saying? You didn't change around other people that I'd seen you with, whether I saw you at school, or if we were out in, the, you know, in, in town or whatever. I never you didn't seem different depending on who you were around. So that's that's commendable right there. Well, I've kind of always had that about me. You know, I'm I'm just not I'm not going to be that person that's going to, you know, um, change it up. I mm-hmm. can't. I am who I am. Either you're going to accept me or you're not. Yeah. And if you and if you don't, that's okay. Right. You, you know, I I I wake up tomorrow. I'll, I'll, first of all, I'm gonna go to. Sleep. I won't. I won't lose any sleep. Right. So, um, so you know, but uh, I just I've never been that kind of guy where you know I'm just. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun. We're gonna mm-hmm. laugh. We're gonna find something to where we have a common ground somewhere that we can talk about something and 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 still find our way. Yeah. You know, I don't care what race, creed, or color you are. Um, there's there's something that you and I share that we can talk about. Yeah, there it, everybody, and I'm glad that you said that. Um, speaking of communications and talking and sounds, I'm I'm really big on sounds because. Mm-hmm. Sound waves never stop. Like once we put them out there, they're out there. They're out there. Yeah. So if you could be a sound, what would it be and why? Mm, if I could be a sound. Any sound. Because you're a hunter, right? I, I am that. So you you um, are all out in nature. Like yeah. you 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 hear lots of things. You've seen lots of things. Like what could you what sound would you be and why? I would say I would say if I was this sound, it would be the wind. Wow. The wind, because, you know, it's continuous. Um, even times when it's when it's not there, it's there. Yeah. And especially, like, when I hunt, you know, I, when I'm deer hunting, I'm t- I'm 20 feet up in the tree stand, you know, and, and the wind's going, a slight breeze, and, and it's rocking me up in that in that stand. And sometimes I just, sometimes I'll go hunting just to go to sleep. Wow. So that's I'm, how comfortable you are. I'd be so comfortable up in my tree stand and I just I doze off and <laughs> I probably had the biggest deer in the world just walking on my feet and probably <laughs> look up and say, Who's that grizzly bear up in the tree snoring? You know, and uh <laughs> I probably never seen it before, but I, I'm just <laughs> when I when I'm out there, I'm just I'm one with nature. Yeah. You know, I'm one with nature and, and the wind. I just I love to hear it. Uh, when it's coming through those through those woods. Oh, uh, you know, rustling the rustling the leaves on the ground, and you know, it's it get light, slight, light, slight howl. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I love it. That's pretty cool. I've had some other people say that they, they would like, they like to be the sound of wind, and because it, it's yeah. it's mysterious, you don't see it, but yeah, it's, it's always just, there. It's always there. That's crazy. Okay, so now we're about to get into the heavy duty stuff because you okay. are a police officer, yeah, and with the times and the climate of everything going on right now. Uh-huh. Not only are you a police officer, but because we're this is a podcast and we don't have video, you are a black man who Very is a po- so. who is a police officer, a patrolman for the city of Atlanta, and you are assigned to the airport right now, right? Yes. Have you always been at the airport since you moved to Atlanta? I have not. When I first started uh, with Atlanta, I started in what's called Zone Six. So, zone, for anyone that's listening that has, has knows about Zone Six. I heard about the rapper, a rapper named Gucci Mane. Mm-hmm. He talked about East Atlanta. Okay. Well, that's that's Zone Six, East Atlanta. Okay, so that's what you did. That's um, right. And how was that before you got like being assigned to the airport? What all is it that much different than being out, say, in Zone Six? Like I'm completely oh, yeah. clueless. So tell me. Yeah, it's different. It's different because mainly because you know I'm um, you're dealing with you're dealing with. Uh, Different, different, different styles of calls. The calls can be the same, mm-hmm. but it's going to be it's going to be a different style because you know you're not walking to someone's home. Okay, you're actually inside the airport. You know where we sometimes you get into someone's home, especially on a domestic call. Mm-hmm. Someone will be a little more brazen to do something versus being in public. That's true. So 
it, it, cha- it changes the scope of of, of the call sometimes. But yeah, definitely, it's, uh, the airport is definitely different. We still do a lot of the same things. Um, people steal bags. Uh, At the airport? Fight. Oh yeah, you better believe it. Uh, people they um bring drugs in the airport. They try to fly with them. They try to smoke them, and you know. And so we we still deal with a lot of the same element, but the criminal element is not quite as bad. You know, we still deal with the um. We we're not allowed to say homeless people anymore. We call them residentially challenged. Okay. Uh, individuals, you know. So we we deal with that now, uh, very often. Uh, in the airport, but um, still dealing with a lot of the same things you deal with on the street, but just in a just in a different facet. So, how has COVID affected you as a police officer? Like, not necessarily physically or personally, not that you tested positive. I'm saying, like, for your job, your profession, how has COVID changed the way you do things? Well, of course, you know we're all required to wear a mask, mm-hmm. especially inside the building, especially anytime we're dealing with a. a a citizen. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one thing, you know, to wearing a mask all day. Uh, you would think, you know, as many hours as I sit in the tree stand hunting that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have no problem wearing a mask. But, you know, I, I just, I hate wearing it, but I know I have to. Yeah. Uh, part, it's part of regulations. Um, so that's changed uh, things quite a bit. You know, and trying to remember to social distance, you know, sometimes people feel like, especially at the airport, because everybody has a question. Mm-hmm. You know, where 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 do I go? Where's this gate? Where terminal is this? And they and they got they feel like they got to be right in in your face. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> you can stand back there. You can talk to me. You don't have to be right in my face. You know. <laughs> so so some people, you know, I just you have to tell them I can hear. <laughs> yeah, I, or I, yeah, I, I hear well. You know, or, or I see them when they're walking towards me, and I and I know the look on their face. I've been I've been at the airport. Since 2012, yeah. so I know the look on their face. I'd be like, "Stop right there and ask your question." <laughs> you put your arm out because you know your arm is like ten right. foot long. So you just right. put your so, arm out and say, "Right here." This yeah, <laughs> stop right there and ask your question. You have to be in my face. I can hear you fine. <laughs> Tag like I could literally see you doing that with your big long yes. arms. Yes. And I do that on it. I do it for real. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> you don't have to convince me. <laughs> so with with. Like, if we're being serious, if we're being honest about the situation in the in yeah. society right now, things are mm-hmm. heavy. Like, times are hard. Um, mm-hmm. Not only do we have this pandemic, but we have all kinds of um, injustices, whether yes. it be racial, whether it be just um, a poor choice that people are mm-hmm. making. And it mm-hmm. seems that in your profession as a police officer, there's a lot of back and forth, you know, yes. And I know things have happened over the years that we may not even know anything about. But with with technology and with people not afraid to say things anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. then we're we're finding out about more things. So you as a black police officer in the city of Atlanta, Mm -hmm. like who do you say you represent? Like when you I know I feel like I know what you're going to say, but like. Mm -hmm. Because when I see you, I see an old friend, I see a police mm-hmm. officer, I see a father, a hunter, I see right. somebody that, a husband, I see somebody that's involved with their, their children. Like, yes. I see all of those things. But to some people, even black people, they see, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not, you're not like for us if you're going to be a right. police officer or you're not doing this or how can you mm-hmm. all of those questions. So who do you say you represent? Well, first of all, I represent myself. Yeah. Second of all, I represent my family. Mm-hmm. And then third of all, you know, my community. Mm-hmm. And then, and then fourth of all, the police department, that's the last thing I represent because that's just my job. Yeah. That's just, that's what pays my bills. That's what allowed me to do what I do for my family. Mm-hmm. But I tell people all the time, I'm a black man first. Yeah. I, I, I've been a police officer for almost 19 years, but I've been, a, I've been black for 43. Right. Right. So, so, you know, um, this, this is what I know. And what I know is that a lot of instances when, when I'm, when I take this uniform off and I'm dressed in, in regular street clothes, mm-hmm. for most people that have that mindset, I'm just not a black man. Yeah. That's all I am. But, you know, 
dealing with my people sometimes, our people, mm-hmm. you know, they uh they'll say that, well, I'm not down for the cause, and you're not down for the cause. Well, I kind of I kind of use this analogy. I say, and I, I've actually had this conversation before with some with some 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 guys that I'm friends with. You know, we have we have good banter. You mm-hmm. know, we have good conversations back and forth. Yeah, and they're not they're not police officers. They're actually custodial guys. But we you know we we talk about the games. You know, we talk about what's going on in life around the world, and so. One of them, you know, he he was just kind of saying, "What do you he, kind of your same line of questioning? Mm-hmm. What do you say? You know, when people say, man, you you ain't down for the cause, you ain't black, you you worse, you worse than anything. You a black officer, right? And you go get your people. Well, I t- I just simply say this. I'm like, well, the same the same people who employ me, mm-hmm. the government. I said, you also are involved just in a different facet. Yeah. I said, so I said, who do you pay your taxes to? Who do you pay your rent to? Mm-hmm. Who you buy your car from? Who you buy who who do you buy your groceries from? Yeah, those same people that run all of that are the same people <laughs> that I'm involved with, but just in a different facet. Yeah. So you know, I, I chose this line of work, but I chose this line of work in hoping to be more uh, olive branch than anything. Yeah. But now, when and I'm the, I, I'm also the kind of person too where I'm not just going to be pro police. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you're right, you're right, and if you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah, it's just, it's just that simple with me. And I think so. that's how we were raised, though. Wouldn't you say? Like, I definitely agree with that. Our parents, like I know my parents, if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Like they never, if I made a decision or if I made a choice, if it was a good choice, they would stand behind me. If it was a bad right. choice, they say, Lynette, that's wrong. They wouldn't like yep. leave me, but they no. made sure that I understood that ain't right. Exactly. Exactly, and I'm and I'm I'm one of the first ones to acknowledge something, especially you know with now with the cameras and everything, catching things, and you know, said people they want to know what I think, and I tell them, well, from what the cameras showed me, yeah, the officer was dead wrong, mm-hmm. or from what the camera showed me, yeah, the officer did right because I would have probably done the same thing, right? You know, so I, I try to give my input as best I can, especially you know sometimes you got to allow this this whole investigation thing to play out. Yeah, you got a little play because there's, there's a few more things that's, that's going on that maybe that camera didn't catch. Right. Maybe another another angle caught that you didn't see on that officer's camera. Right. So, you know, you got to kind of let the whole thing play itself out and just give it a second, let it breathe, you know. But uh, sometimes, you know, I, well, not sometimes, I do know why, you know, you think, you know, black people, why, why we are the way we are with the police. We have not had a good relationship with the police since we've been in this country and that's yeah. that's well documented yeah and, you know and when you think about the police itself how did the police even began the police began a slave catchers yeah you know that was the bring back the owner's property what is slaves so you know when you when you put you tie all that together you know you think about like i said just how it even began you know it's like man it's like that's a lot to think about it's heavy i mean it's, it's all heavy, heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. So very heavy, and I trust me. And um, I um, I, I inside I have a lot of turmoil sometimes inside of me. You know, when doing this job and doing as long as I've been doing it, and and having that thoughts of of man, you know, man, my people are reeling. You know, from what's what's going on. What what can I do to help? Yeah, is me doing helping just quitting the police and not doing it or. Or do I do my job and say, hey, listen, let me be, let me try to be the olive branch to, to bridge the gap for, mm-hmm. for the people and be and be that shining example of how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. So what would you say, like, if you had these two options I'm about to give you, what's mm-hmm. the hardest thing to deal with? Standing up for your law enforcement brothers or watching the officers who make who may have made like poor choices hurt the people that look like you? Oh, ask me the question again. I want to make sure I get this right. Okay. So what's the hardest thing to deal with? Standing up for your law enforcement brothers, like just trying to explain to people, hey, this is like you just told me, there could be different Mm -hmm. angles and we have to wait for the investigation. Standing up for that or watching officers who've made bad choices hurt people that look like you. Definitely the second. Watching watching officers make bad decisions that hurt people that look like me because a lot of times... Those decisions, I, I think, you know, in my mindset, what I'm thinking, they're making those decisions. It's not just the, 
a normal uh, normal arrest. It's something extra with it. Right. You know, so that kind of makes me feel some kind of way, you know, because like I said, you know, when I'm not wearing the uniform, I'm just a, another black man. Yeah. So unless I unless I tell, you know, that, that officer that, that, that stops me, that has something on their mind, that they want to do something to a, somebody that looks like me, you know, if I don't if I don't have my quote unquote get out of jail free card and say, hey, mm-hmm. hey man, I'm, I do what you do for a living, mm-hmm. then would it would it do me the same way? Right. Because I mean, you're a big dude. I got there. You go. You know, when you when I'm when you're a big black man, you know, what I mean, I'm automatically assumed as a threat. Though you don't know me from a can of paint, right? But and you know, I might, I might have a baby face, you know, and hey, but still, I may be looked at as a threat. And that's you know, the unfortunate part. It's extremely unfortunate, you know, and that's just, to me, you know, Lynette, that's just, if we're going to be honest, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just what this country is. I know. And it makes you know, me it's what, sad. It's it yeah. It, you know, we it's, it's so many things that are great that happen in this country that could be, that we can we can all ride the wave on. Yeah. It could be great. But then, but there's, there's just there's this old group of people who won't let these these old thought patterns die. Mm-hmm. They won't they won't let these old beliefs and things that they just where they can't join the whole party. They can't allow it to happen, so they keep passing this thing on, you know, through their through their kids and the grandkids yeah. and kids. Because you really think about it, I mean, those same people that you know there were. Uh, doing Jim Crow time, those those people, those people are still alive. Oh, I know, a hundred percent. There's a lot yeah. of them still alive, and then they have children and grandchildren. Yes, and that's where, like, I've had a bunch of my friends to tell me, I'm going to teach my kids to love everybody. Like when things happen, yes. because I live in a predominantly white community, yes. and mm-hmm. so some of my friends here are just like Lynette. Yeah. I see things. I know it's not right. And we're talking about nationwide, community, whatever. And they'll mm-hmm. tell me the thing that when when they talk to me and they say, I'm going to teach my kids. Like t- for me, that's huge. Yes. Because if you can teach your children, then you can stop that generational craziness. Lynette, that's where it starts. Right. It starts with how you teach your children. Exactly. You know, and that's the thing, like you said, when you pass... Children, you know, I, I love it when I see kids of all colors when they love and hug on each other and they play together because they are innocent and they haven't been taught. Right. Now. They have no they idea. Been, it hasn't been taught to them. Right. But uh, unfortunately, you know, this society, man, it, it just, it, 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 it keeps pumping the poison. Yeah. It keeps pumping the poison. And then, you know, eventually people start to separate. They start to separate and be more people who look like them. And then when these ideas are introduced to them, it, 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 it's, like a, it's like a virus. It you know? is. And it just, it just spreads and you, you can't kill it. No. But the, the, good, the flip side to that is that we have people like you in positions like you're in as a police officer. Um, being able to speak to us as African-American Men and women and children and say, this is what's going on. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm i aware of what's happening. I know that there are things that are wrong. And then on the other side, you're also able to speak to your other, your fellow law enforcement brothers. And, so. and, you know, if we have more people like you that are knowledgeable, that have done research, that are developing their own mind and know who they are personally, speaking mm-hmm. to people that's how policies get changed that's yes. how um awareness is made and people that don't look like us yes in all other communities can have that bridge like you said you want to be an olive branch and yep. you know the deal like you've been to where your ancestors were you yes. you've researched and you know all the information and even knowing all the things wrongdoings all the issues that we have here in our country mm-hmm. you still serve and protect and you're able to be, reach out Talk to us as your your culture and also yeah. talk to other communities and say, this is what we need to do and be that example. Right. I, tr- I try to be, you know, and that's one. That, that's another misnomer that I kind of want to clear up from my perspective. OK. When I hear when I hear people say that what while these bad officers were the good officers, why don't the good officers stand up? Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me let you in on a little secret. Do you know when we find out they're bad? When you find out they're bad. 
So it's different. You, so people people think that you know that with the good officers that 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 we just watch the the bad officers do stuff and we just stand by and, and let it happen. Mm-hmm. That's that's not how this happens. You know, I had to have a, this conversation with some friends before. I said, you know. These these so called bad officers that that we good officers supposed to know about, we find out they're bad when you find out they're bad. So whenever I they're mean, with y'all, they don't act crazy. I can promise you because they know when they're around upstanding people, and people are not going to stand for it. Because this is the thing: when they do something like that, now you put me in in a position to get me in trouble. Right? So you think I'm going to allow you to take food off my family's table? You're crazy. When you say that, what does that mean? Like, because does it threaten policing, period, whenever you have people that are that way? Yes, it threatens all the way around. And then you're talking about, wait, now, say I'm a good officer Mm -hmm. and there's a bad officer. Now, officer bad is doing something and I stand by and I watch it happen and I do nothing. Mm -hmm. First of all, my conscience is not going to allow me to do that. Right. Second of all, I swore oath. That's and right. Oath to protect and serve. Yeah. And so that's that's and that's domestic and everyone else. But when I even from other law enforcement officers, mm-hmm. you know, so that that goes into effect. So everybody talk about the blue wall and all that stuff. And is there one? Yes, there is. What does when that I mean? People, when I say blue wall, when people say, um, you know, we're protected and we're, you know, uh, we're untouchable because of. Um, we know the judges, you know, we know the solicitors and all that stuff. And, you know, and there is some of that that do take place. Mm-hmm. But I tell people all the time, that don't, that's not for everybody. That's not for everybody now. That's that's for some people who who may be like fourth or fifth generational police officers whose parents worked at the same department and all that kind of stuff. Oh. That, don't work for, that don't work for everybody. So there's a blue you wall, know? but it's for certain people. Hey, you better believe it. Wow. I'm learning. Yeah, so you know, I, I try to I try to correct that misnomer with people, you know, with saying that you know where to go out a good cop stand back and you know but listen, we like I said, we, nine times out of ten, I'm almost say ten times out of ten, we when we when the news tell you they bad cops, when y'all find out, when the public finds out, that's when we find out too. Now, do sometimes do we have like some kind of feeling mm-hmm. that maybe they could do something bad? Mm-hmm. Probably. But again, a feeling it's not a crime that I can that I can report. Right, right. You know, and and, and there's and there's calls that you know those guys can come on that, that I get that feeling about. I say, you know what? I just feel like he gonna do something crazy. So I'm like, hey, listen, man, uh, don't come on, don't come over here. I got this. <laughs> you just handle you know? it yourself. Yeah, I got it myself. Don't 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 worry about it. You know, because like I said, when they do something, that that's out of bounds, mm-hmm. and you're there. Well, guess what? You're tied into it now. Yeah. So if that that person who they did it to, they go file a complaint or or anything else, or call a supervisor, or things of that nature. Well, guess what? Now, now I'm tied up in this investigation with me, you know, doing my job and this dude doing something crazy. So it it just it's it speaks volumes when you're in this position and you make good choices because you want to make sure that you are the example because, like you said, which I didn't realize. I mean, I knew. But like you just said, it affects whether or not you have a job when people yes. are doing things that they're not yes. supposed to. You better believe it. So the, the thing that's going to happen is they're going to look at you and be like, well, why didn't you stop it? Right. Why, why didn't you say something? And so, like I said, for me, um, I think I think all my coworkers that know me, that I've been around for years and know, they know that, hey, in the, my, my nickname, they call me Big Hunt. So they say, you know, big, big hunt, big hunt don't play that stuff. You yeah. Know? So, you know, we, we ain't going to, don't even try it around him. Right. You know, because I've done it before where I'm the kind of person where I don't like to embarrass officers in front of other people, but I will pull you to the side real quick mm-hmm. and we will have a conversation. And I'm like, hey, listen, you know, we, we, we're not going to do that. And you're not going to do it in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, if you plan on doing something like that, uh, make sure I'm not around. Maybe you know, we so, need more people like that in your position. You know, I think there, I think that, I think there are a bunch of guys with that same attitude that are like that. I think what happens is that you get some 
some older older guys mm-hmm. that still kind of get stuck in those old crusty ways. Yep. And then you might you might get a, a younger guy that's still trying to find himself as a police officer, and he runs into that old crusty guy with those same old thoughts, and he starts picking up from that kind of stuff and thinking that that's how it's supposed to be done. So he gets molded by that old Pretty person. Much. Okay. Pretty much. That's that's basically how, you know, I became a police officer, you know, how I became good at what I did. I would go to different calls with different officers and I would see how they would handle calls. I'd be like, man, I like how he said that. Mm-hmm. Or I like how he how he did that when he separated these two over here and was able to talk them down. I like I'm gonna use that next time. I like how he did that. You know, and, and that's how, you know, it helped you mold you into being an officer. But when you but when you're around uh People with negativity and mm-hmm. they're always you know, down talking and just, you know, I I do this and I, you know, that will eventually rub off and become, you know, a young officer's mindset. Yeah. Well, they say you are who you are with. You know what I mean? Birds of a feather. They flock, flock together. together. That's true. I, I just, today has been amazing talking with you and just learning a little bit more about you and then about the police department. Like, and I know this is not every police department, but you as a police officer being not only an officer, but a black man and your perspective, is there anything you want to, to share with everybody? Because like I said, we know the circumstances around all that are going on is heavy Mm -hmm. because I live in, in Indiana. I live about 30 minutes from Louisville. So it's hot because of all the things that have happened with Breonna Taylor. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. a lot of, like you said, people making bad choices um, that affect everybody, not only the police departments, but it affects everybody in the community. What's something that you can can leave with us as a 19 year veteran of the force and as a husband and father and as a black man first? What's something you can leave with us? As a as a black man for his talking to young young black youth, mm-hmm. I would say to them, survive the encounter. Yeah. And what I mean by that is don't try to have court on the side of the road. Survive the encounter. Get through the encounter. Do what's asked of you. Mm-hmm. And then once it's over, if you feel you were done unjust. Make the call or go to the precinct that it happened, and then go file, go file a report to his superiors. Yeah, but don't try to do it right there on the side of the road. It's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to people about our age mm-hmm. is to continue to relay the message to the younger kids. You know, to hey, listen, survive the encounter. Make sure you get home to me. Yeah. Make sure you get home to me. You know, no matter where you get home to me, you do what's asked and get home. And uh, I would say for for my other counterparts, uh, uh, people of other races, uh, things of nature mm-hmm. that are that are wanting to see a better world, that are wanting to see a better community, and you want to teach your kids right, like you were explaining earlier about your about your friends who were saying that you know I'm gonna raise my kids to to love everyone. Yeah, that's what I would that's what I would encourage to continue to fight the good fight. Continue to to pass that that word, those words down to your children, and that's how this thing is going to change. Because, like, unfortunately, like you said, you know, there's people that are still alive from those old days, those Jim Crow days. They're still spewing their poison. Yeah. But if we if we start with these children mm-hmm. now, and they grow into this love and understanding that hey, your skin may not look like mine, but we have something in common. And guess what that is. We're humans. Yeah. We're humans. Yeah. You know, and I think if we do that, I think we'd be fine. Well, this has been amazing. Um, and I, it's it has reached my expectation because I didn't expect anything less than amazing from you, Ty. Like when we, <laughs> when we first communicated and you were like, absolutely. Like I was so thankful because I wanted to hear the raw version of yes. what you go through and in your mind, because, you know, you just don't know. You don't yes. know until you talk with somebody and, and hear what they have to say. So I appreciate you being with me today. I appreciate your honesty. Yes, I appreciate ma'am. your insight. And um, I thank you for your time because 
Time is one Ooh. thing that we can never get back. That's right. So from from here on out, and every time I see any of my friends from back home, my my friends from school doing any kind of position that could be dangerous. I mean, we everything we do could be dangerous, but you are yes. in the line of quote unquote fire on a daily basis. Yes. So mm-hmm. I pray for y'all. I, I I hope nothing but the best. I'm thankful that you have a great support system with your wife, yes. your family. And I just thank you. I thank you for thank your you. service. You know, it's just, you don't have to do what you do and to do it well. I appreciate you. And I know everybody listening appreciates you. So thank you so much. Lene. I really appreciate you. You know, doing your podcast was, um, is a pleasure of mine as well to get a chance to, to speak and try to clear up some things. And again, yeah. you know, I want to reiterate too, that I don't speak for every police department, I don't speak for the city of Atlanta. Right. I speak, I'm speaking for me. I'm speaking for Ty Hunt. Right. Uh, my experience, my thoughts, and um, you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And Lynette, you know, if anytime you're down this way yeah. with your family, you let me know. I got a, I got a grill. I love to cook. Well, I come love on. To smoke brews. And uh, you come to my house, you're going to leave full. I promise you that. Okay. If I come to your house, I need to make this right now. We cannot eat no crazy meat. <laughs> I need I'm to eat you, regular meat. Me I got I got a freezer full of wild game. <laughs> I know my husband might eat it, the kids might eat it, but if you cook it for me, I need regular things. Gotcha. So that's that's what we're gonna shake on, and that's what I'm believing because you're a good guy, and I know you're not gonna try to feed me no crazy like emu. I don't want no um, <laughs> I don't want caribou. possum. I don't want caribou. <laughs> I don't want nothing crazy. I don't want you to feed me no duck. I know ducks not weird, but I don't want duck. Okay. I want regular stuff. You put that on a different side of the grill than what you cook my food on. If this happens, we can't be friends. If you start tricking me in eating like, I don't know, something's tongue or a ear, you're going to feed me regular stuff. Okay. I got you. I got you. I I, I can keep it regular. I'm going to have to have a conversation with your wife and be like, don't let Ty slide me nothing crazy. My stomach ain't built for that. She she don't she only eats one she only eats deer she wants she won't eat my rabbit she won't eat anything else she she eat my deer meat though. I'm gonna need you to leave Bugs Bunny alone. Okay, <laughs> leave that baby alone. No, I can't make no promises. <laughs> Ty, it has been a pleasure, and I hope you have a a great rest of the week, and yes, hopefully we'll get to talk again. And yeah. The sounds you have heard have been her real life. I hope everybody has a good day and we'll talk with you later.